It's interesting to think about Jesus preaching on the sermon, the famous Sermon on the Mount. Today's text is actually a continuation of his famous Sermon on the Mount that we began last week when we went through all the blessings. Blessed are the peacemakers, blessed are the poor in spirit, and so on and so forth. But I was wondering, who is Jesus talking to? For perhaps the most famous sermon of all time. What's his audience like? Is he speaking to world leaders, gathering the wealthy and the influential? Well, let's take a look at the context of this most famous Sermon on the Mount. Immediately before Jesus, or Matthew records uh, the preaching of Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Matthew, Matthew writes this, Jesus went throughout all of Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. And he was healing every disease and every affliction among the people. And his fame, it spread throughout all Syria. And they brought him all the sick. They brought him those afflicted with various diseases and pains. Those oppressed by demons, epileptics, paralytics. And he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and Decapolis, from Jerusalem to Judea, from beyond the Jordans. And seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, he called his disciples to him. Did you see the types of people that were following Jesus? It's not the people who have their lives all worked out. These are not the people who seem to have it all together. Oh, I wish I was one of those guys. <laughs> no. These people are the sick. They're the afflicted. They have mental problems, physical problems, spiritual pains. And no one has been able to help them or give them relief. These are not people that you would want to model your life after. Oh, there's a pretty cool group over there. <laughs> these are not the people. These are the people that you would want to avoid. These people are suffering from things that all the world tries to avoid. Avoid, yeah? <laughs> Get an amen. Now, not everyone from the crowd would be able to hear Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. That's true. But people who considered themselves as Jesus' followers were there. And many of them did. The only four apostles that we know were there at this point was Andrew, Peter, James, and John. But no matter who heard these words directly, everyone who followed Jesus out was, came to him out of their need. And they needed to hear these words on the, from the Sermon on the Mount. And guess what? We need to hear them too. Now considering what we know, how this crowd would have been a crowd to avoid if you wanted to stay away from undesirable people. With that in mind, let us consider how our gospel starts today 
Remember, you would look at this group and say, yikes. Jesus looks at this group and says these words. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people let light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine among others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. I sometimes look at these words and then I look at myself just as I imagine the crowd looking at themselves and then I think, what? Us? Is he talking to somebody beyond us? <laughs> Salt of the earth? Light of the world? How can that be? He, if he's God, he knows what I've done. He knows my weaknesses. He knows all our weaknesses. How can we offer the world anything? When we are people who are in need. Remember the people in that crowd were people who recognized that they were missing something in this life. They had a void in their health, in their mind, in their flesh, and in their soul. They had a void that no one could fill. And these people did not come to Jesus for leadership training. <laughs> they came to Jesus for salvation. And that is exactly why Jesus will use them. You see, these people saw nothing good in themselves. They saw good in the one who was sent from God, who had come to their city. That's where they saw good. They saw God's care for them in Jesus. And that's why they gathered. And as they gathered... God loved them. And his love would transform these people who had nothing to offer anybody. He would transform them into living witnesses of God's love for the world. When Jesus says, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven, he is talking, believe it or not, about us keeping the law for our neighbor's sake. St. Paul puts it this way in Romans chapter 13. He says, Owe nobody anything except to love each other. For the one who loves the other has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, they are summed up in this word. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Love is the fulfillment of the law, St. Paul writes. The point is this. Our good works 
are to spring out of love for our neighbor. We are to let our light shine so that others would believe. Jesus left Jesus let that ragtag group of people. He let those guys know, those guys on the side of the mountain, those sick, afflicted people. He let them know that they were going to change the world through works of genuine love for other people. This is so hard to understand. If the people there were honest with themselves, they probably considered themselves as great sinners. Just like we. If we are completely honest with ourselves, we would recognize that much of the time our motivation is for self instead of love for our neighbor. Moreover, when we look around, we probably think that there are a lot of people who are better qualified to change the world than us. But here's the thing. Jesus is God. And Jesus can work through whoever he wills. And another amazing thing is that is that. I found a typo. (laughs) The other amazing thing is that God uses the things despised in this world to bring souls out of darkness into heaven. All through the whole book of the Old Testament, you see God using people who mess up over and over and over and over again to bring his son, to bring his love into the world. Jesus is not looking for the most gifted. He came to seek and to save the lost. Does that describe you? Are you lost? Are you afflicted? Are you sick? Are you filled with anxious thoughts and worry about who you are and what you're supposed to do in this world? When you heard the description of the people on that mountain, did you see yourself? When you hear that you are to love the world, Does your sin come to mind? Jesus loves you. He says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them. I have come to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not a yoda, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Let's break that down. You have not, you cannot complete the law. Neither have I. In fact, you confess many Sundays if you're here, 
that you have failed. You have not let God's love have its way for, with you and your love for others has failed. Jesus loves you. Remember, love is the fulfillment of the Ten Commandments. It is the fulfillment. And here, Jesus says, who is the fulfillment? I have come to fulfill the law and the commandments, Jesus says. I shouldn't have been pointing at myself. <laughs> Jesus has come to fulfill those. Moreover, John describes himself as this. And this might put it all together. John describes himself in his gospel as the one whom Jesus loves. That's his identity. His identity is Jesus loves me. Do you need love? I can answer that for you. You do. True love is described in the law of God. And only Jesus truly loves. And he truly loves you. He lavishes love, his love upon you in baptism, the Bible says. Where he also gives you his name. And he gives you an identity. Everybody's looking for an identity. You are sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. That's your identity. Search no further. In those waters your identity is changed. To one whom Jesus loves. You are a member of the church. And he graciously fills you with his life giving body and blood for food. Nothing is withheld from you. There is nothing for you to bring to this equation. He's not saying, well, what do you have to offer? You are a vessel to be filled with God's love. Not only filled, but because his love is infinite, your, that love is going to spill over into the, life, into the lives of others that you meet. The love that is good works that you're going to do as a result of God's good work for you. It is going to change things. And that love that you have will really begin with this. Confessing your sins. And receiving Jesus' love. Jesus doesn't relax the law. He doesn't look at you and say, you know what? Don't worry about it. He, that's not what he says. He completes it. And in him we are set free to obey it. We're, not, we're set free to stop doing it. We're set free to love. We forgive those who sin against us because we've been forgiven. We confess our sins to others because we love them and we respect them. Because Jesus loved and respected us. We didn't deserve it. 
And Jesus is telling these people, this ragtag group of misfits, just like this one. Just like this ragtag group of misfits. I don't want to label you, but, <laughs> but I'm right in there with you. He is telling this group that his love for them would work its way out in their lives all the way to the people they met. And God was going to use them. He's going to use you to draw others to his word and salvation. Our reading today concludes with Jesus saying this. And this would have really puzzled this group. He says, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now this could have been shocking for the immediate hearers. You know, it's not that shocking for us because we're, we're used to bashing the religious leaders of, his, of Jesus' day. But for the immediate hearers, there was no group more revered than the Pharisees and Sadducees. And Jesus was sharing with them their righteousness wasn't real. Jesus later on in the book of Matthew says this, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! You are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and uncleanness. So you also are, you outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you're full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Any good that they were doing, Jesus said, was they were really trying to impress others and God. In other words, their actions were done from the motivation of self-love and self-preservation. Look what a good Christian I am. Look what all the good stuff I did. God, look at me. But the sad thing is, uh, their love of self didn't really help anybody else. Everybody looked at the Pharisees and Sadducees and said, oh, why can't I be like them? And guess what? They loved it. That's not what we're to be like. They didn't, this, the, the Pharisees and Sadducees didn't want to associate themselves with the rest of the people following Jesus. They, want, they wanted this ragtag crew to follow them. In other, words, in other words, Jesus was sitting at the top of the Sermon on the Mount and guess where the Pharisees and Sadducees wanted to be? They wanted to be in God's place. Not with everybody else who needed God. Only people who agree with God's law and recognize their need for a Savior are filled with righteousness that comes through faith in Jesus Christ. The righteous live by faith in Jesus. 
Those who try to obey the law for their own self-elevation, they're not righteous at all. No matter how great they appear, on the inside they are dying like the rest of us. They hide their death. They hide their need for a Savior. I pray that we would feel our sin. I pray we would feel our sin. And I pray that by God's Spirit, we would recognize our need for help. So that we would see Jesus as the answer. Instead of, get this, the Pharisees and Sadducees, how did they see Jesus? Not as the answer, but as a threat. I pray that each one who receives his love upon their ears in the absolution. I pray that each one who receives his love upon their heads in the washing of baptism. And I pray that each one who receives his love on, the, his, on their tongue in the supper would be changed into people who love others as they have been loved. And the people that behold God's love, that is, who receive Jesus in the word, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Let your light shine before others. That is, let God's love have its way with you so that you would love others as God in Christ has first loved you. Do this so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. In the name of Jesus, amen.